here we go. It's the season finale. I know a few of you are probably surprised that this is the season finale, but I've decided to take a little bit of time off. So this is the last podcast you'll get on this feed for a little while. Um, I'm all good. Uh, nothing wrong with the show. My passion is still there. Um, but currently, I just got a bit too much on my plate. So I'm going to take a bit of time off on the podcast, but it's not just going to fizzle out. I've got some big plans for the next season. So don't you worry. There'll be more podcasts coming, I promise. And I've got a few cool guests lining up as well. So watch that space. Today on the show, I have a woman named Dr. Alex Woolard. Uh, she's a doctor, show's first doctor. Uh, she's also a research fellow in child mental health within the youth mental health team at the Embrace Project at Telethon Kids Institute. So some of you may know I ran a marathon earlier this year and I raised money for Embrace. It's a cause close to my heart. Um, and everyone that I've met there, they're just awesome people. Um, and yeah, they're they're really cool. And Alex is no exception. Um, make sure you keep liking and subscribing to the show. Uh, tell your friends there's 15 absolute ripper episodes on this feed now. Um, so there's plenty of podcasts to listen to if you're missing me in the meantime and if your more popular podcasts that you listen to on a regular basis are getting a bit boring you can come back have a re-listen maybe you missed a little life lesson or a golden nugget from a former episode but anyway that's about it for me as i said thank you all so much for your support over the last however long it's been probably six months maybe a little bit longer actually thank you so much for your support but i'm not just going to let it fizzle out this episode is absolutely spectacular and she's a superstar love telling alex on the show now i do want to mention a bit of a trigger warning um this episode discusses suicide mental health eating disorders and ocd so if you're someone that doesn't have the capacity to listen to that right now take a bit of time um and yeah definitely look after yourself but apart from that Episode 15, Dr. Alex Woolard. Let's go. I'm fully aware that this is how I start every week, but I'm very happy to be joined by the person that I am today. Um, she's a very impressive woman uh, and... <laughs> Uh, I love the things she talks about and the way she talks about them. And I'm, I'm actually genuinely really excited for this chat. Good, but, me too. But I say it every week and I need to come up with something else. But I, I'm excited. I'm like, glad that you're excited. And I would be really upset if you weren't happy to talk to me. <laughs> I'll feel bad for the person who I don't introduce Exactly, like that. exactly. But Dr. Alex Willard, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Now, I guess, I guess let's start with gratitude because we're going to chat and we're going to we're going to vibe and this is going to be so good. Mm. But I don't want us to start too early and then forget about gratitude. This is true. We should start with it. Start on a high. Start on a high. Yeah. And then just let chaos overtake. <laughs> um, you said it. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? You go first because I, I've i been thinking about this. I've listened to your other episodes and I already knew this was coming. Okay. So I cheated a little bit. Yeah. And have already thought about what I'm going to say. So you I'll go, go first. first. Yeah, I'll go first. I've actually been on the other episodes and I haven't thought about it. <laughs> so, so there you go. Um, no, I'm going to start a bit of, bit of left field. The mm-hmm. weather at the moment is chaotic. It is. But I actually love it. Like, I just love rain yeah. so much. It's so 
beautiful and everything's green and it's just a bit like it just makes everything so much more exciting i just um love rain we have a creek at my parents house so i'm very lucky so at the moment it's been like the creek out the front of mum and dad's house has been flowing and it's just i love sitting out there and and watching it so yeah and we've just come off the back of a long weekend so that's been lovely i'll go number two was spending some time with family which is always beautiful and number three being with friends as you know i'm on prac at the moment and i'm very flat out burning the candle at both ends don't have a lot of time um so yeah it was good to fill my cup also fill my stomach with a lot of food uh so i need i need to be having a few salads this week but yeah it was um such a lovely weekend and uh yeah the weather was special as well now over to you oh that sounds so nice yeah um so i'm going yeah i'm going deep hope that's okay that's okay yeah and i'm gonna give you a bit of my life in this so yeah yeah, you're gonna learn a little bit more about me yeah so the first thing i'm grateful for is my Mm mum so there anyone who knows me i talk about this all the time because i'm Mm. quite open about it now uh but when i was 14 my mum was diagnosed with early onset dementia and that was really hard and we actually thought she was going to die within oh that's that that's is thunder, thunder. yeah <laughs> that's cool that that's is really special. cool yeah that's yeah. what's going on outside right now yeah okay, um yeah so she she was given five years to live wow. that was when she so she was 35 i was 14 and she so she has um, me my brother who's a year younger than me and then two younger siblings who are I think at the time they were nine and eight Mm -hmm. and so that was horrific it was awful yeah Uh, but then it turns out she was actually misdiagnosed and so what we thought she had is not what she had okay because she actually lived for more than five years yeah so the doctors were like oh that's that can't be it because no one lives past that that wow yeah so it was pretty pretty rough but then it was also like okay, new diagnosis. Yeah. She still has dementia, but it's a different type of dementia, which means that she doesn't, she's not got that five-year life expectancy. So I'm really grateful that that happened. Yeah. And that she's still with us today. Yeah, of course. Um, Wow, that's incredible that she's still here after all that time. I know. Yeah. And she's been able to see me, you know, graduate uni. Yeah. And do like kind of have big milestones like she's there for my my 30th birthday my 21st birthday yeah i never thought i would get that with her so every time something like that happens i just have this little like oh that's you know that's so good it means so much so i'm grateful that she's still here with us yeah the second thing i'm grateful for is my stepdad okay so after mum was diagnosed yeah um dad left yep yeah, it was. It was like a... I'm swearing on the show. I was like, oh, shit, what do I do? Yeah, okay. Like straight away? <laughs> Within a week. Wow. Within a week. And so it makes a lot of sense now. Mm. But back then I was like, I hate men. Yeah, it probably makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, I was like, he left, he left us. I'm so angry. Yeah. And I was also, I think, you know, 14 at the time. Then this thing happened. Mum, mum went on medication, and you could not really tell that she had dementia. It kind of halted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she would still have weird moments, but um, for the most part, you couldn't really tell. She started dating someone, mm-hmm. 
And I'm thinking, what is this dude doing? Like, yeah, you. I don't like him. I was sus. Yeah. I was so sus on him. I was like, he's going to come and, and steal mum's money. He's just waiting for her to die. Like, yeah. I did not trust him. And me, I think I was like 16 at the time. Mm-hmm. So hormonal as yeah, well. I was period, yeah. I was a bitch. It was <laughs> awful to him. Like, I would ignore him. He'd walk in the house and I would just look the other way. Yeah. Like, I would have been a nightmare. Yeah. And after about six months of them dating, <laughs> he actually pulled me aside and he was like, hey, I know you don't like me. It's very clear. And I was like, good. <laughs> but then he was like, you know, I can tell that it's hard for me to be around. I just want to be with your mum. But if you don't want me here, you are the most important thing to her, more important than me and more important than I will ever be. So if you don't want me here, I can leave. Oh and he wasn't saying it in like a, yeah. I can leave, you know, like it, he was being really genuine. Yeah. And that was like this moment of like, oh, okay, not all men are yeah. shit and yeah. will leave. Like this one's, this one's pretty good. And so I'm grateful for him because he showed me how kind people can be. Mm, that's incredible. Yeah. He's still around. He looks after mum now, which has been such, you know, he has shouldered a lot of burden and he's an amazing person. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is my friends. Yeah. And I like to think of friendship as like, they can be a compression bandage sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they've just helped me through some really hard times. And I do the same for them. And you kind of just hold them really tight and make sure they're okay. Yeah. And that's what they do for me. Yeah. And they know who they are. I've got some here. I've got some on the other side of the country because I'm from New South Wales. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really lucky. I've got heaps of amazing friends. You've really set the tone for what's going to be great. We just really dove in there. so. No, but I like it. And I think that you know, from what you know about me, I'm all about, if you can be vulnerable, yeah. you may as well be. Because yeah, there's people so. that can't. So, um, yeah, and we can both be vulnerable. And it's, and it's so great. So I did introduce you at the start of the show as... A doctor. Yes. You're the first doctor we've had on the show. Well, there you go. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I'm almost a doctor of podcasting, some would say. <laughs> uh, but you're the first official doctor. Now, obviously, you talked a lot about your childhood mm. and that sort of led you on this journey to becoming a doctor. Yes. So why don't you tell me what you're a doctor in and, and sort of uh, where that's led you to today and also where we probably are. You can tell me a little yes. bit about that as well. Well, that's that's a lot there. Sorry. No, it's 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 all good. I've done this many times. Yeah. So I so when all of this stuff happened when I was a, a teenager, I went and I actually developed OCD. Yeah. As a way of like, I can't control anything. I need to control something. Mm-hmm. So I tried to control myself. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, it was pretty hardcore OCD, and I probably, I lived with that for a couple of years until I couldn't anymore. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't, like I can no longer function. I can't do this. So I went and saw a doctor, went and saw a psychologist and that psychologist changed my life. Mm. Like I would say saved my life. Yeah. And that's, that was the point where I was like, that's what I want to do yeah. for other, for, for kids, mm-hmm. for other people. And so I went and did a bachelor of psychology and then started working in research and realized that I could actually help a lot of people through research. Mm. 
you know, clinical psychology is amazing and it's really needed, but with research, it's not one-on-one. I'm, I'm trying to help lots of kids. Yeah. So I did a PhD mm-hmm. in psychology. Yeah. And I was working with parents and their babies to see how we could kind of make attachment easier, like especially for kids who are like what we call high risk. Mm-hmm. So I was working with really premature babies. Yeah. Which was awesome. Mm-hmm. I loved doing that work. Uh, but that kind of led me down the track of autism research, which I did enjoy. Both of my brothers are autistic. Yeah, okay. And so I had this kind of like vested interest. Yeah. But it still wasn't my real passion. Mm. And then this job came up in Perth. I'd never been to Perth before. And it was with Helen Milroy, who is a professor in, psychi- in psychiatry. She's bloody amazing. Okay. Like, <laughs> look her up. Like, yeah. She, when I saw that she was the person that, like, the hiring manager, I was like, oh, my God. I need to get oh, in. Oh, God. Like a rock star. Of <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Like, she's just, she's intimidating, but she's also, like, such a lovely person. Yeah, so okay. then it yeah. doesn't really, like, you meet her and you're like, oh, you're not scary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like I should be scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but she was looking for a, a person to kind of run her, her research program here in childhood trauma. <laughs> so... I applied for this job and I tell you what, I did not think I had it. Yeah. Like this is, this is COVID times, right? Yeah. And I went for my first holiday ever snowboarding. Um, during COVID, I mean like not ever, ever, but like yeah. during the, the, those years of COVID, it was like the first holiday. Yeah. I was looking forward to it for like six months. This interview came up. When do you reckon it was? Oh, right. Dang right. Man. In the middle. Yeah. And I was like, oh, can we move it? Like, can we do the, the yeah. interview another time? They're like, no, no, Helen is so busy. And I was like, okay. Yeah, of course she is. <laughs> so I like snowboarded down this mountain, oh, went into the cafe, used the cafe Wi-Fi, did this interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in like fluorothermal, like thermal gear. Oh my God. Yeah. And this is video interview? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so seeing me. That's so funny. <laughs> And I like closed my laptop and I'm like, no way I got that. That didn't happen. Not a chance. But I did. That would have, it almost would have like your brand of like, yeah. just being like this cool snowboarding. <laughs> it's like this girl just snowboards down a mountain, does a job into it. It's like, what's up? I don't need exactly. your job. And they're like, we want to. <laughs> well, I definitely stood out. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. Like visually <laughs> yeah, stood out. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> after that, I. I moved to Perth in like two weeks. Wow. I didn't know anyone. I was like, ah, stuff it. I'll just move over. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then kind of the rest is history. I now work at Telethon Kids. Yeah. Uh, I, we run quite a few different projects looking mm-hmm. at different types of childhood trauma. So we do work with kids who have experienced, you know, what people typically think of as trauma. So abuse and neglect. Yeah. We do work with those kids. We try and figure out the best ways to kind of screen what their issues are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're working in this one area. It's called dissociation. Have you heard that before? I'm, aw- I'm aware of the concept. Yeah. yeah. So we're trying to figure out how we can help <coughs> clinicians pick up on that. Yeah. Because like right now, a lot of clinicians actually don't know what it is. Yeah. There are specialized services who they, they, they know. Yeah. But a lot of the people that work in this area don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to 
both educate people but also be able to pick up on these these yeah. like behaviors that kids show and then hopefully try and treat them better you may as well for people that might not know what it is yes this it. is very true <laughs> so dissociation is kind of like this separation between your mind your body your yeah. kind of concept of the space around you so it can kind of look different for different people yeah and like most things it's on a spectrum <laughs> so Everyone does it. Yeah. As weird as that sounds. But like, if you can, the example that I give is like when you're driving home Mm. and you get home and you've had a big day, your mind is elsewhere and you think, shit, did I drive through a red light? Yeah. Or like, how did I get here? Yeah, I've just, I've just hit so exactly. many people on the way. Yeah, exactly. No <laughs> like, do I have seven speeding fines <laughs> yeah. because I wasn't paying attention? Yeah. That is dissociation. Mm. Your mind is elsewhere and you're not paying attention to, to where you are. Yeah. And sometimes it can look like, um, you know, you're really stressed out and you, you just know when someone's not paying attention to you. Yeah, where are you? Exactly. Yeah. The lights are on, but no one's home. Yeah. That is dissociation as well. Yeah. Now, when we get into the more severe end of that spectrum, so it can look like completely disengaging from your body. So you have this <coughs> out of body experience. Yeah. It can be you lose all sense of time, you have amnesia, so you, you can't remember parts of yeah. you know your day or even you know years of your life. And then we have this thing called dissociative identity disorder. So have you heard of multiple personality disorder before? Yes. That's a real thing. Yeah. Okay. And it's actually called dissociative identity disorder. Okay. So it's this really severe form of dissociation where you detach from yourself so completely and another identity comes forward it is incredible yeah and i think there's a lot of stigma around this particular disorder but because of movies because of movies yeah but what people need to understand is that this happens to the most severely abused people yeah so if someone is experiencing this they have gone through a very torturous experience Mm. that was their brain's way of protecting themselves yeah so, in fact, there is this one book. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Are you a reader? I'm trying. I'm do trying an, so Do an audio book. Oh, like, audio I'm an audio book till the cows come home. Absolutely. Just read. Yeah. Do that. Okay. Do what works for you, right? Yeah, thank you. Um, so, there's this book. Now, absolute trigger warning. Like, it is the hardest book I've ever read mm. um, because of the, the content. But it's called The Girl in the Green Dress. Okay. Um, Jenny someone. I can't remember her last name. Yeah. And... She was so severely abused, but her brain is like the most incredible thing that I had ever heard of. Mm. She created more than 2,000 identities, like this army inside of her head to protect her from what was going on. It's absolutely incredible. I'm not going to tell you anymore. Okay, yeah. But if you're up to it, if you feel like you're in a good headspace... Have a go. Have a go. Because, and a lot of these things that it leads to it's like a coping mechanism absolutely it is right like yep. the same with dissociation yeah is it's coping checking out mm-hmm. um and you mentioned that one of the people with um like and i typically and i know a few people and i'm sometimes like it where your anxiety and you're thinking about yep. something and someone's talking to you or something's happening and you're like i'm i'm, I'm not here, here. Yep. and the way I described it to a psychologist once, which you'll find interesting, you know, get smart. 
the TV show. You mm-hmm. know how they have the soundproof cones? Yeah, the crate of silence. Yeah. Yep. So it was like that was yep. on around me. And inside I've got all these thoughts yep. and everything around me is going on and I have no yep. idea. It's that really is very interesting. interesting. Yeah. I, you're not alone in that. Yeah. Okay. Like I do the same thing. Yeah. And sometimes I do it when I'm like overwhelmed in meetings. Yeah. Because it's it happens to everybody. Yeah. And I'll literally be there, and then I'll come I'll come back, and yeah. I'll be like, "Shit, what did I just miss? What's happened? <laughs> like, what, what are you guys talking? Or yeah. people will be looking at me, and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> the classic movie scene exactly. where everyone's looking at you and they haven't been paying yeah. attention. That, yeah. That's me often. Yeah. 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 Um, so, in terms of embrace. Yes. Can you tell people a little bit about Embrace? Yes. Because so, I've tried to raise money. You have, which is amazing. No, but don't talk about me, but I just want to know <laughs> about Embrace and, yeah, the type of stuff you guys do and why someone like me wants to mm. contribute to that. So Embrace is WA's first centre dedicated to mental health of young people, so 0 to 25. Yep. Now, Embrace, they support a lot of research. So they actually support me as a researcher. Mm -hmm. And so all of my work is kind of under this Embrace umbrella. Yeah. They do, so trauma, they do a lot of work with suicide prevention, which is amazing. Um, A lot of work with the LGBTQA plus community. Mm -hmm. So all of this research is not possible without the support of Embrace and people who donate to Embrace. Mm -hmm. So... People like you. Don't. (laughs) No, that's very nice. You started it. Sorry. Yeah. But no, I think with it being the first, I think it's really important that you try to support it as much as you can. Mm. Um, And yeah. Yeah. And they do. I mean, we. Yeah. I I am going to toot my own horn here. Go for it. We do some pretty awesome research. Yeah. Like we're helping kids. All the time. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I recently finished, um, well, we're in the middle of the actual treatment, but we finished designing this, this world first treatment, right? For kids who have medical trauma. Yeah. So have you ever heard of medical trauma before? I heard it because we spoke together. (laughs) So you heard me talk about it. (laughs) So for those who don't know, uh, medical trauma is the response to an illness or an accident Mm. Or, um, you know, some sort of diagnosis that's really traumatic. Mm -hmm. So we're working with kids with burns. That's a really traumatic injury, Mm. right? So it involves an accident, which is really painful. But then the treatment after is also really painful. Mm. So it's not just this thing that happens. It's like ongoing, painful, scary treatments. And it also affects a lot of really young kids. Yeah. So... Parents will know this. As soon as your kid starts walking or moving around, they're a liability. Mm. They're pulling stuff down on themselves. They're touching things yeah. that they shouldn't be. And so we have a lot of toddlers coming in who have like pulled hot water on themselves. It happens a lot. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. Lot. And we're finding that these kids, like six months down the track, even if they don't remember what happened to them, they experience stress, they experience heightened anxiety. And years and years later, they have a higher chance of having depression or suicide attempts. Yeah. So, pretty big. Yeah. So, we designed this treatment to help kids within, like, the first six or so months of having this injury. Mm. So, to kind of, like, boost their resilience so they don't go down that path. Yeah. And so far, it's working really well. Great news. Yeah. (laughs) We've had such a good response, like... 
kids are this is I mean this is a tricky space because with burns you've also got scars that can be quite embarrassing yeah, well, yeah, yeah of course the kids think they're embarrassing yeah you know they're not but that's the the sense that I get and we've got kids that are you know wearing shorts for the first time or wearing t-shirts for the first time because they're not embarrassed anymore yeah and they can now cook again and they can now go out and play at the beach and not be worried about what people think yeah and they realize that like they've actually been through this experience and are stronger now which is really cool. I guess one thing that you talked about earlier in one of your answers was how incredible the the brain Oh, it's is. amazing. Um, yeah. And people, I guess like you, are incredible that you can actually find all this information and discover it and then tell, you know, <laughs> the, the lay <laughs> people you. like myself. The lay people. Um, but in terms of the brain... There's so many things, great things that it can do, but there's also so many um, horrible things that can go on. I guess, can you dumb it down and really explain what trauma is Mm. and how that can go on to affect someone down the track, especially childhood trauma? Yeah. So trauma is actually, I think a lot of people get this wrong. Trauma is not the event. It's not the thing Mm -hmm. that happened but it's your response. So something has happened. Can I stop you? Yes. Because I'm having a particular yeah um, thing for me right now. Anyway, trying to deal with some things at the moment. Mm-hmm. And in terms of that's one thing that I'm trying to get through my head. Mm. If I was to say the event mm. out loud, mm. people have actually said, that doesn't sound that bad. And then you start to question yourself because it's like, well, it isn't. But my response to it yeah. for some reason, oh, and some of them can be funny examples. Yeah, yeah. And I was talking about a particular one where my brother, uh, when I was year five, I said the word cut. He thought I'd said um, the C word. <laughs> yeah, and, sorry. And I experienced this great trauma. I can remember yes. it. Like I can remember it. And we were reminiscing last night. Were you worried that you were going to get in trouble for saying No, he, yelled at me. he said, don't you ever say that word again. Oh. And I didn't know the C word existed for another like oh, three years. And so you didn't know why you were getting in trouble. Yeah, but that is ingrained mm. into my head. And mm. if you say that story, quite, you know, laughable. But there's other situations in my life where I'm like, Obviously, I have some complex mental health issues at the moment. And I'm like, some of these have probably gone on to inform that. Yeah. And if you say it out loud, you're like, that's not actually that bad. But as you said, it's your response to it. Anyway, back to But it's also cumulative. Yeah. Okay. So we've got this thing called the a dose response to trauma. Yeah. Which essentially means the more shit that happens to you, Mm. the worse the outcome. It makes a lot of sense, but people don't think of it that way. Mm. And we have this thing, you know, cascades of trauma. Once you've had one thing happen, unfortunately, it means that you're more likely to have more things happen. Mm. It's crap, but that's that's how it works. Are people... Do people respond differently? That's part of their chemical... It's a bunch of things. Because I'm thinking I might just be someone who doesn't respond to things very well, I'm not a great handler of... Well, there's a lot of reasons food. that that might be the case. Yeah, okay. But that is part of it, isn't it? Well, it can be your DNA. Yeah. Okay? It can be the way that your parents respond to stress. Mm-hmm. It can be your previous experiences with stress. It can be the coping skills that you've been taught. Yeah. There are so 
many things that contribute to the way that you respond to things. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, if you have one thing happen, you're more likely to respond with stress to the second thing and the third thing and the fourth thing. And it keeps going on like that until you kind of try, you go see a psychologist and you work through your coping strategies and and, and the way that you respond. Mm -hmm. So trauma, like you said, it is not the event per se, but it's the way that you've responded. <laughs> so I have a good example. Think about uh, a fire. Okay, yep. you're, at, you're at a school, you've got a bunch of school kids and there's a fire in the school. Firefighters come, they put the fire out. You've got a bunch of six-year-olds, you've got a teacher and you've got the firefighter. They each respond to the event very differently. Yeah. The kids, because of their age, they don't have the skill set to deal with that sort of emotion or distress at all. They don't have the language for it. Their brains can't compute it. So they will respond with a trauma response. The adult, we don't know. It depends on what they've been through. Maybe they had a fire when they, they were, you know, a young person. Yeah. They might respond with a trauma response mm. or they might recognise that it was just a small fire and it was put out, so I'm not going to respond with that. Or, can I interject, they could be worried about, like, the kids. Exactly. And they could be... Exactly. There's so many... Yeah, continue. So many variables. Yeah. Okay? We could have someone with a phobia of fire. Well, I don't know if it really counts as a phobia because it's, like, a legitimate... <laughs> it's, pretty, <laughs> it's a legitimate fear. pretty hot. <laughs> yeah, pretty hot. They're pretty scary, actually. So, you know, you might have someone who's actually really scared of, of yeah. fire. Lots of variables. And then you've got the firefighter mm. who is trained, mm. deals with this every day, so they're exposed to it so that they don't have this huge distress response. Mm. Uh, and they're older. Yeah. So those things are all in their favour. So they don't respond with a trauma response. Yeah, well. So you see how the same event is very different for different people yeah. based on a bunch of variables. Mm. Is, is part of what people are trying to do in terms of trauma because when you say the word trauma as you mm. mentioned people are thinking grief yeah accidents abuse yes they're probably the big three yeah. that people think of yeah but it's part of what you're trying to do to break down the stigma and yeah it's i can't tell you what a trauma is yeah i can't tell you what the event is that you're responding to mm -hmm. but what i can do is acknowledge that this is very real this is a very real response and it's very distressing and it impacts on your functioning. So we need to treat you with compassion and try out different treatments to see if we can help you get back on, you know, the track of good mental health and being able to function day to day. Yeah. Actually, it doesn't matter what happened. As long as you're in a safe place now, mm. the, the event itself, you know, we can't do anything about that. But what we can do is help you now with your behaviours, mm -hmm. with your coping, make sure that you're doing okay. Yeah. Now, for me, I obviously want to donate and all about, you know, TKI. Um, go TKI. <laughs> but what does research actually mean? Because yes. in terms of, I'm thinking, you, you're in a lab coat. No. You're just 
getting some I mean, syringes, some people do that. mixing some stuff. But that's probably not what you do. Um, no, um, <laughs> that's not what I do. But some researchers do that. Yeah, it depends how, on what area you're in. Tell me how your research works. Not like that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> not like that at all. Yeah. Um, so I do. Well, I was trained in behavioural research. Yeah. So because I'm, you know, my background is in psychology, I work with people. The way that you study people, behaviour. Yep. You do brain scans as well, but I deal with behaviour. Yeah. So we do, we, when I was training, we did experiments with people. So there's different types of psychology. Cognitive psychology is about the way that you think. So social psychology is about the way that you relate to other people and how you behave in crowds and stuff. So there's lots of different things that you can you can study, right? Yeah. But I've kind of gone down, you know, behavioral, cognitive, how do we think, how do we cope, all that sort of stuff. Now, when I first did my PhD, right, so to do a PhD, do you know what is involved? Lots of studying. So much, <laughs> so much study. But what we do yeah. is you you write a thesis. Yes. Okay. So it's kind of like, have you ever done like an honors project or anything like that? Uh, probably dumb it down. <laughs> I did. So, I failed. I failed year nine science. Um, I didn't do too well in year nine science either. Oh, I should get going. <laughs> you should have. Could be a doctor. You know what I was really shit at? What? Maths. So oh, okay. bad. So so bad. I don't get chemistry. Neither physics. do I. Neither do I. Because it doesn't make sense. It's like, we're all atoms. That's but it's like, shut up, because I'm a person, <laughs> and that's a desk, and that's See, a computer. you should have done Not psychology. You should have done psychology. Yeah. Because we're, we're just people. Yeah, just exactly. People, yeah, so. go away. <laughs> so, the bottom line is you don't need to be great at maths or physics or chemistry to do a PhD. Okay. You just need to be stubborn. Yeah. And... Keep. And you've got that? Yes. Oh, it's God. <laughs> I'm so bullheaded. Yeah, it's okay. terrible. Yeah. So, it's essentially, you do an, ex- the, the absolute bare minimum, you do an experiment. <laughs> you write a couple of papers, you put those papers in a thesis, and then you get someone to examine it, and they say yay or nay. Okay. Wow. That's a PhD. Okay. So for me, I did a big longitudinal study, which means long term. Yeah. I followed the same people. Now, those people were babies. Yeah. And I followed them from when they were six weeks old to when they were 12 months old. I was looking at the way that mum and baby interacted. That was the experiment. Okay. And then I tested a bunch of things. I did some stats, which I'm not good at. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't sound like your thing. Not my thing. What are some of the things you test? Um, so I was looking at whether... The way that we speak to babies is different depending on whether or not they have autism. Okay. Yeah. So you've got an autistic baby. Yeah. They're not babbling. They're not looking at you. How does that impact the way that you speak to them? Okay. So you're just the parents, the mum and pub come in mm-hmm. and you're watching. I video. Do they know? Yeah. yeah what yeah. you're looking for though? No. Okay. So that was part of the experiment yeah, was like they actually didn't know what we were doing. Okay. I told them that we were looking at the way they interacted. Okay. So they actually, they had no idea. So they did know, however, that we were looking for signs of autism. Okay. Because I did a, like a, a developmental assessment on them before we yeah. started. So I knew the babies that were kind of flagging at high risk for autism okay. versus those who weren't. Yeah. 
So that's that's what you do. You you figure yeah. out an experiment, you test it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you get what we call null results, so like nothing happens. Yeah. Cool. And then you write it up. Okay. And then you got a PhD. And how many but then once you get a PhD you continue to do experiments. You do. How many would you say that you're doing? We have six streams of research, okay? Now, I have now moved to a point where I'm not doing the groundwork anymore. You're telling other people to experiment. I'm telling other people to do it, which actually I don't really like that much. I like being on the ground. Yeah, it seems like more fun. It is. Yeah. But now I just have to, like, think of the things. And then they so go do it. They go do it. So I spend probably, I don't know, maybe a quarter of my time thinking. Okay. Like, yes, I'm getting paid to think. Whoa. How weird is that? Yeah, that I'm like, fun. maybe we could do this or maybe we could do that. Yeah. I read papers to see what other people are doing. Yeah. Especially those that are related to trauma. And I just think of new ways that we could, we could try and treat it. Yeah. Different types of trauma. So right now we're starting a new kind of area in refugee okay. mental health. Yeah. So we're working with refugee families. Yeah. So I just thought of that like last year and I was like, we should do that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it is actually pretty fun. I get yeah. to like, as long as they're not crap ideas, I get to test out new ideas. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we all, th- everyone has that thing where they think it's a multi-million dollar idea. Oh yeah. And the more you break it down, it's like, that's no, not, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen actually. <laughs> no. Tell me now you're doing something very exciting. What am I doing? A TED talk. I am. Yes. Tell me about the TED. The TED. Tell, how does that? How does that happen? Oh, I tell you, it's it's so much more involved than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> it seems like they just stand on that little circular stage. You would think that, but no. Um, so it's actually a TEDx talk, right? Because this is I how it works. I never know the difference. Neither did I. So TEDx is like the the ground, like on, on the ground okay. work. Okay. So you've yep. got Big TED. Big Ted. Big Ted, big guy, up in the clouds, like God. We need a photo of what, how you're... <laughs> I'm very expressive. I, I feel like we should be filming this. Yeah, this should be a video. But, um, so Ted is like the big, big boy, yeah. right? And those are for like, the real, like, almost like famous people. I'm trying to think of someone. Brene Brown. You heard of her? No. Oh my God, I have such a crush on her. She's right. amazing. Okay. She is like, okay, so in research we're all nerds we have academic crushes I'm, yeah 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 i've someone told me about that concept oh, i love her i love her so much like okay. so she she works with vulnerability and um like that that's her research area yeah. vulnerability and like no that's that's pretty much it that's her thing okay so she's done quite a few well, she did ted x talks to start and, and then, then you go to big ted and then big ted but like this chick's pretty cool like she's okay. pretty good let's Get her up on Big Ted. Yeah. So you're doing TEDx. I'm doing TEDx. Little Ted. Little Ted, which is still pretty cool. Yeah. Like, it's still, like, amazing to be selected for that. So you get asked? You do. Well. By who? You can be asked to put an application in. By Ted. Ted. (laughs) It's so weird. (laughs) It's so weird, isn't it? What, when is your talk? What is it on? So it's the 29th of July. And, yeah, so we've got... A little while. Get your ticks. Yeah, get your ticks online. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's in the Heath Ledger Theatre. Cool. And I'll be talking about trauma. You're talking surprise, about yourself? Surprise. So I will, I think what I'll do 
is give a little like kind of I don't know taster of my childhood yeah and how that led to me studying this mm. so I actually did a full day of training on Saturday mm-hmm. and TED talks are very like they're hard they're not like your normal talk I didn't realize but like it's so true when you watch them you can't start a talk off like you normally would right like I'd get in front of a stage and be like Hi. Yeah, good morning, I'm Doc. Yeah. No, I'm they do something crazy. They just start in the middle. They're just like, robots. Exactly. Tomorrow, brain <laughs> surgery. <laughs> That's exactly right. And then you're like... What, what are you talking about? Yeah, what you bastard, I'm in. How are you going to start yours? I don't know yet. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's really hard to think of something. Yeah. I, I have a few ideas and I've got this person who is like assigned to me. So he's he's a curator, they call them. It's very, very fancy. And I've given him his my ideas. Ted, his name, you know, his name's not Ted. It's Kev. Oh, <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> but I've given him my ideas, and every time he's just like, "Nah, that's fish shit." <laughs> Kev sounds like a legend. He's so just, he just oh, says no to brutal. people. Yeah, he's just like, "No, that's nah. not a good idea." And I imagine because his name's Kev. Yeah. I imagine he's like a truck driver, just smoking a dart. <laughs> And you come up and you're like, oh what about God. this? And he's like, nah. That could, that could not be further from the truth. Yeah, I thought but I'll let you keep case, that in. But that's fun for me. <laughs> now, I guess we sort of touched a little bit about your your life. We mm. didn't get too much oh, into it. Yeah. And leading into this, where you are now, mm. I guess you must have experienced it. I feel like no one goes oh, on you... to research something without mm. having an impact them themselves yeah can you talk a little bit about your own trauma obviously you mentioned some things in terms of your siblings and your mom yeah and your dad talk to me about your life about if my you trauma. may if you may <laughs> yes I'm very open about it so I've showed I've told you mine look that's it we're and sharing I'll show you mine we're, we're you trauma sh- bonding yeah I like that <laughs> and we may as well yeah it's only fair I got nowhere to be <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think that was the big trauma for me was, yeah. was mum's diagnosis. And funnily enough, I actually can't remember too much before that, which is yeah, okay. very common for people who've experienced trauma, having like, you know, big chunks of time that they can't remember in their childhood. Yeah. I can't remember a whole lot before then. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that it was real tricky for a bit. I didn't, I didn't know if I would be able to go back to school yeah. at 14. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to drop out yeah. to look after mum because there's no one else to look after her. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I was I was really, I guess, worried about the uncertainty, grieving someone who's alive as well. Yeah. It's really awful. Yeah. So I know people listening, there's, there's probably quite a few who are doing that right now or have done that mm. in the past, but... I tell you what, grieving someone who's still alive, who's still with you. Mm. Oh, God. It's not something I would ever wish on anybody. Yeah. And during, I think, the first probably, I guess, three years of that diagnosis, mum was really unwell. Yeah. She was really unwell. Like, she couldn't do anything. Yeah. Like, I had to grow up really quickly. Um you know, organize how to get my siblings to school because mum didn't know where our school was. She couldn't drive. 
Yeah. Like she couldn't do anything. She would, I'd find, she, I mean, it's pretty funny now. I'd find the weirdest shit around the house. Okay. Like you'd open, the, the microwave was like a good spot to put everything. Okay. Like documents. Just like put papers in there. Yeah. Letters. Like they'd just go in the microwave. I had to learn how to use like the washing machine. Yeah. I'd never used that before. No. It's probably a spoiled little shit, wasn't I? I had no idea. And we were like, <laughs> Mum's like, I don't know how to use it anymore. And I'm like, oh, shit, I have to start oh, doing that's this. <laughs> she couldn't use it. Yeah. So that was, yeah, it was really hard. I actually couldn't talk about it. I couldn't say the words for a long time. I just mm. burst into tears. Like, I couldn't talk to anybody about it. And so my way of coping was kind of like crawling into myself and... Yeah, so I developed OCD, mm. obsessive compulsive disorder. And so that, that kind of looks different for a lot of people. For me... We're going to... I'm going to pedal pit in it. We're going to come back to OCD. Okay. Keep do you want moving. me to... Do you want me to... I'll come back to that later. Let, we, it's on my notes. It's on your list. Okay. So I had that. It was really awful. Yeah. It was really, really awful. Then, yeah, went to see a psych. Was good for a bit. It was really good. Um, but then... I think it was probably early 20s. And now that I do the research, I know that this makes sense. You kind of go through periods of your life where you, you go through like these these body changes, like hormones change, mm. your brain changes. And so it's when you're really young, it's when you're a teenager, and it's when you're in your early 20s. Yeah. And so I was in my early 20s and, yeah, I developed some pretty poor coping skills again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually developed an eating disorder during yeah. that time which is deadly, mm. right? Like, people don't talk about it enough. Like, it's... I nearly died. Yeah. Like, my my psychologist and my GP, they, they told me I nearly died. Like, my heart nearly stopped working because of it. Yeah. And, like, I would go for days without eating and dropped such a significant amount of weight. People around me are like, you look so great. And I'm like, thanks, I feel great. I didn't feel great, mm-hmm. I was dying. Yeah. And again, I think I had some pretty good friends around me and kind of they kind of raised the alarm. And I kind of hit this point where I knew that things were bad, mm-hmm. like I couldn't keep going. And I think I was suicidal. Yeah. Like, I just didn't... I didn't care. But then I think seeing my friends, that... The effect that... Well, I guess the impact of me being so unwell on them made me kind of make a change. Mm. Go and see a psychologist myself. Yeah. And it took... It was actually really hard. Recovery from an eating disorder is awful. Yeah, I've heard. It's so bad. Yeah. And it took a while, it probably took like a good year before I was better. But then since then, it's been, it's been pretty good. Yeah. And so that really kind of pushed me to like, okay, there are so many people who deal with like, because everything that I was going through, the OCD, the eating disorder, was because I was trying to like have some control over this really shit thing that was happening. Yeah. Like, I could not control the trajectory of my mum's disease. And so I tried to control everything else. Yeah. But it was really unhelpful for me. Mm. And so now I do research so that I can help people cope better. 
chicken or the egg was that you started to feel better and then you went on to do research or did you make the decision and just go... Because I feel like people... And I feel, I'm probably going to use the wrong word, but they almost make a martyr of themselves. And it's mm. like, I'm going to do the research and I'm going to make everything better, even though they probably haven't quite fixed themselves mm. yet. Did you start to feel better and then do the research or did you start doing research and getting into this and then you start finding things out and you're like, oh, these, these can actually help me? No, it was definitely like I had to get better first. Yeah. Like, particularly with the OCD. Mm. I couldn't think properly. Yeah. I wouldn't have got through a university degree. Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah. And I think, yeah, probably the same with the eating disorder. If anyone's had an eating disorder or is even struggling with one now, yeah, your brain doesn't work properly. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> like, it just, your brain actually, sh- like, it shrinks. Like, physically shrinks yeah. when you have an eating disorder. And, yeah, so I think I, ha- I had to be in a good place. Yeah. To be able to get through. And that doesn't mean that I'm always in a good place. Like, even now, yeah. I have months where I struggle a little bit. Mm. But I now kind of know how to cope better. Mm. And I see a psychologist. Yeah. Like, I've been seeing a psychologist for, God, 15 years. Mm. Sometimes I go for long periods without having to go and see someone, but it's always there. Yeah. So, yeah, I think... I think I, I definitely had to go through my own kind of healing journey before going in and kind of doing a PhD and doing it the research now. Also, PhDs really are really hard. They will cause you to have mental... Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have good coping skills. Yeah. 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 Like, I actually did burnout halfway through. Yeah. And had to have like a couple months off and recalibrate and come back. Mm-hmm. Um. But that was also because I was going through a big breakup oh, as well. Okay. So yeah. it kind of all hit at yeah, once yeah, yeah. and I was like, yeah, <laughs> I need to just yeah. cocoon and, and hibernate for a bit. Let's chat. I know we said we put it up in on OCD and we're yes. going to just keep moving that forward. Okay, okay. No, no, no. We're going to do, um, in terms of an eating disorder, mm. how, and I almost think about it once you've managed to overcome something like that. Mm. It's like once it gets really bad, it's almost better in the long run in terms of you won't go back. Mm. Whereas if you're sort of teetering on the edge, it might always be something that you deal with. You know what I mean? And I think we talked about, I came on your podcast. You did. That's coming out eventually. (laughs) But I talked about my own journey with suicide Mm. And once you've been to the point of yeah. it's almost happening and then you overcome that, yeah. you'll never Like it's you don't not that go bad. Back. Yeah, it can't be you it's yeah. been your rock bottom. And you're like, I've already made a decision that I'm not doing that anymore. Yes. Yes. Whereas if you're teetering on the edge or you're yes. flirting with the idea or you something like that, and it would be the same with an eating disorder. Yeah. Once you get to the worst stage, you're not Yeah. I actually think, I think you're quite right. And with an eating disorder, there is a period of time where relapse is like very common. Yeah. Because it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, especially because when you're healing from an eating disorder, you you put on weight. Yeah. That's what happens. Your body 
is trying to recalibrate. You're now giving it food and nourishment, which is what you're meant to do. Yeah. But it makes you feel awful. Yeah. Like, I remember I didn't I didn't want to be seen. Yeah. Looking at photos now, I'm like, I didn't look that different. It's fine. But, yeah. like, at the time, I was like, oh, God, no one can see me. I don't want anyone to look at me. So there's that period of time you are in recovery, you are healing, but you could go the other way again. Yeah. But then you're right. I think once you get to that point of, like, self-compassion, mm-hmm. once you reach that and you realise I am a worthwhile person, I deserve to be healthy and I deserve food. I deserve nourishment Mm. and it doesn't matter what I look like because on the inside, like, you know, I'm a worthwhile person. I'm kind. I have all these other great things. When you get to that, less chance of of relapse. (laughs) That just brought up some shit for me. Yeah. Anyway. Self-compassion, I highly recommend it. I'm getting there. Yeah. It's not that easy. Dude. Jesus, the first Alex, time, it's not that easy. The first time I tried <laughs> self-compassion, I remember this. This is, you know, those like conversations that are burnt in your head. Yeah. So I remember talking to my psych about it. She was like, I really think we should do some self-compassion work with you. And I'm like, I'm going to try anything at this point. Yeah, sure. Go for it. So she's like, you know, here you go. Here's your stuff. Go home, do some homework, try and be self, like, you know, compassionate to yourself. I come back the next week and she goes, how'd you go? It's like, oh, I'm really shit at self-compassion, hey? And she's like, oh my God. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> that's like literally. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. You need this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's a journey. It took me a very long time. And I'm still how, not perfect. But are you good? <laughs> how do you go? I think I'm, I'm much better than I used to be. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I'm much better. I'm not perfect. Mm. I still have days where I'm hard on myself. Yeah. Um, have you ever heard of schema therapy? No. So it's this type of therapy. It's like you've got your core schemas. It's all about how you were brought up, you know, your, your early experiences in life, and they kind of shape your who you are, mm-hmm. how you respond to things. And we have core schemas, they're called. So these things that kind of, they're sticking points for you. And they all have different names. So if mine are abandonment. Okay. No yeah. shit. No shit, right? Yeah. I didn't want to be the one to say no shit. <laughs> but you can say that. I can say I'm allowed to say it. <laughs> yeah. Unrelenting standards, which means that I hold my standards above like you're human. You can make a mistake, but me, I cannot make yeah. any mistakes. Can we but that one can also help you in terms of what you do because you need high standards to be as impressive as you are. Well, oh, thank you. But but you know what I mean? But you don't have to punish yourself when you make a mistake. Okay, perfect. Great answer. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other one is self-sacrifice for me. So mm-hmm. I put others' needs above my own. Yeah. I'm working on all of those things. But they make self-compassion quite hard. Yeah, of course. So that's my kind of like my big hurdle, I yeah. guess, that I have to get over. How hard is it to break down stuff like that? Oh, very. Yeah. Very hard. Yeah, yeah. If you think about like, so your automatic reactions, you know, the way that your brain is automatically wired, mm. it's really hard to undo. Yeah. So if your kind of auto response is to be really hard on yourself, to have that negative self-talk, it's going to take a little while of treading another path 
to make that your automatic thought. Yeah. It can be done. Yeah. But it does take hard work. And for like for me, I'm still I'm still working on it. Mm. Uh, it's easier now for me to pick up on negative thoughts. Yeah. I can recognize when they're happening. They don't stop happening straight away. But now I'm like, oh, no, that wasn't helpful. That's not going to help. Try and be a bit kinder on yourself. Yeah. And you, you, you know, that's that's a good step is like mm. being able to pick it up. Yeah. We've come to a new segment on the show called OCD Chats. <laughs> which might be edited out, but I just want to pick your brains. Yes. Because I've never... It's a really... So I have OCD. Yeah. And that's the most recent thing that I've been diagnosed with. It was only... I was probably a few years ago now. Oh, wow. Yep. And still trying to wrap my head... Mm. around it but also when you tell people and you say like i've been suicidal and i have depression and i have anxiety and ocd Mm. that'll be the one they'll forget yeah because they're like everyone's seen glee yes and they're like what you just want to be clean it's not that Mm. explain what it is for you Mm. and then let's have a chat well it's funny because one of the things was for me hygiene Mm -hmm. but that wasn't it it was excruciating Okay, so for me, I had these thoughts. uh, So they were intrusive thoughts, which meant I could not get rid of them. They were just... Explain those to me because I have that. So intrusive thoughts are... So if someone explains sense to you, um, you know, don't think about the purple elephant in the corner of the room. Yeah. What are you going to think about? Yeah, yeah. So you have these thoughts that come in. Most people, if you have a weird thought coming in, you just go, oh, that's weird. And then off it goes. But for people with OCD and people with intrusive thoughts, those thoughts are relentless. They will not go away because you focus on them. And quite often they're the most fucked up thing you could it's possibly awful. think in a situation. So I would things that you won't say you, out loud. And and it's hilarious because people with OCD are the least likely to actually do the thing. But yeah, but they're the ones that think they're about thinking it. about it because it is so shocking to them. And if you tell someone, it's like I thought about you know, licking that person. Yeah. Something like that. People would be like, why what would the you, fuck yeah, is Why would you do you? that? You wouldn't do that though. But it's part of the condition that exactly. you'd just be like, lick them. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Which and is a funny example, but there's more <laughs> fucked up ones. There's so, there's, I mean, I, I had intrusive thoughts about harming people. Yeah. I wouldn't, ne- I would never. Yeah. But that was my, that was my thing. I was so worried that something was going to happen and that I would hurt or kill people. Yeah. And so my kind of... So what you do is you have these intrusive thoughts and then you have compulsions that would drive your behaviour to try and counteract that. Mm-hmm. So if you think of, like, you know, people tapping or counting or whatever, they have to do that so that they're, whatever they're thinking about doesn't happen. Yeah. So for me, I was thinking, okay, something something's going to happen, my family's going to die, my mum's going to die. If I do this, she won't die. But if I don't do this, she will die. Mm-hmm. It's, it makes absolutely no sense, but in my my mind, it that's how it was. I had, you know, the thing that they used to say, step on the crack, break yeah. your mum's back. Yeah. I... And it, and it was diagnosed recently, but mm. I remember being like thirteen, walking mm. to the bus stop, yeah, being like, a vo- like 
properly avoiding I did every the same crack. Thing. I did the same thing. And picturing if I was to step on it, my mum would be at her office. And her back would, yeah. And her back would break. Okay, do you want to know something terrible, but also like kind of dark, funny? Okay, yeah, go. I had the same thing. Yeah. Okay, and then I did lots of graded exposure therapy and realised that it was OCD. Yeah. Um, About... 10 years ago, my mum broke I don't want this to be that. I knew you were going to say. It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so she... <laughs> I know how bad is it. She's fine. She's fine. love that. But she got... Yeah, she got a... She fell like... <laughs> she fell oh, on a... No. She fell on a train set and broke her back. It's so bad. It's so bad. But I had reached a point where I was like, well, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's fine. She's good now. She also, yeah, she doesn't, it doesn't bother her. So. <laughs> that is officially the hardest I've ever laughed on this show. Tell me about the... <laughs> Tell me about the exposure therapy uh, and what that yes. means. Because people, and I've explained it to people before, um, people do the one where uh, I know people who check the doors locked yep. 100 times yep. or like 10 times will be driving somewhere, have to go home to check the irons yes. being turned off. Let's think of some that... So I can give you yeah. examples of, of what I did. Yeah, I was trying to think of what I would do, but then I couldn't think of something. <laughs> so, of something. for me, yeah. okay, I had to make sure that I was 100% clean, mm-hmm. okay? So, that meant I would shower, I would I'd scrub head to toe. Yeah. Like, I was, I smelled great, but I couldn't touch anything after that. And if I touched something, I'd have to wash my hands. Yeah. When I cooked, that was a bloody excruciating experience. It would take so long because I would have to wash, if there was any kind of meat, I would have to wash everything, Mm -hmm. wash the chopping board, wash the the bench. It was ridiculous. Everything would take me so long. I used to catch a train to school. I would hop on the train and literally sit with my palms facing up Mm -hmm. so that I didn't touch anything. Because I was worried that if I touched something that was contaminated... Contaminated with what? I don't yeah, even know. Yeah. But, and then I touched something, I touched my mom or touched something that she was eating, she would die. Yeah. So I, my hands from washing yeah. were cracked. Yeah. Like I would, I would make a fist with my hands and my knuckles would split. Like it was, it was mm. hardcore. Yeah. Um, they were really painful. And when I was in school, I would try and hide my hands because you could see them. And that's that's kind of the point I got to where I was like, I've got to do something because people can see it now. Yeah. So when I started exposure therapy, so we call it graded exposure therapy because you don't go straight in and go, all right, go touch a toilet bowl. Mm-hmm. You have to do little things to work up to it because it's incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. Like you're you're in distress when you're, you're doing something that you think, for me, you know, you think it's dirty. Or if someone has to check something, if you don't check That's incredibly distressing. So you start small. You think about touching something. Yeah. You talk about touching something. Mm. 
and then for me it was touching something safe like you know the touching I don't even remember just like a door or something and then we got to the point where I could go to the toilet mm. and stand and not wash my hands for a bit yeah that was huge yeah and then after that I realized that nothing was happening so I was probably okay to just go about my life well, that's the thing with the not turning. Yes. Did I turn the oven off? Yes. So you test. And you and I get to the stage now where I'm like, if I get back to my house and it's burnt down, mm. that's gonna be okay. Yeah. Because that'll be a funny story. Yes. That it's like I swore that that I left <laughs> the oven on. Turns out I did. I've got to that stage. Yeah. There was, I used to have the lock in the door one. Yeah. And then I was like, imagine if I get home from uni today and there's nothing in my mum and dad's house. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be a classic. That'll be a story for the ages. It'll be a bloody story. And I'll tell you what, you've probably got insurance. It'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. I mean, one time I lived in a share house, right? Yeah. And my housemate at the time, there was a couple of us, but one of my housemates, really lovely guy, but so off with the fairies. Yeah. Honestly. And I went downstairs one day, and it was really hot. It's because he'd left the, the oven on. All night. All night. We're all upstairs. Yeah. So, you know, that... It's okay. It's okay. We didn't... I mean, we could have died, probably. Yeah. We are all, like, pretty mad at him. But, like, it happens. Yeah. Like, it's it shit happens. And, yeah, I think we go to the worst case scenario, but... And that's also a thing with anxiety, where you... Play it out. Exactly. Worry like. about something that hasn't happened yet. But a coping mechanism that I like to use is just go, like, let my brain run away. Catastrophize, that's what that's called. No, but no, but it actually <laughs> helps because then it, it'll always oh, end. Okay. This, is a, this will be a technique that you yes, know the name of. Yes, yes. It'll always end with me being like, and then I'm going to die alone. <laughs> no, but, but, <laughs> but it's like I'm late for work. And I'm 10 minutes late and then I get there and they say, McPherson, that's the straw that you're fired. Yep. And then I'm going to struggle to get a job because I'll have this on my record. And then, mm. and then like, no one will love me because I won't be able to yeah, make any you've money done and this. then I'll live with my... Yeah, but yeah, then you've you... have done this before. <laughs> but you always get to the end. Yeah. Trying to block the thoughts. Mm. Very uncomfortable. Mm. So Let just, them happen. what is the worst? Get what to the end the and then it's like... Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, all right. Yep. So Let's see. Let's see if that happens. Yeah. We, that's, that is a technique. So what is What's the worst? Called? I don't know. But you know, know what I mean? I t- of course I do. So what is the worst that could happen? Yeah. And then you actually play it out yeah. and you're like... And then I, I think the next step mm. is, okay, how likely? Yeah. How likely is that to happen? Yeah. And also going, well, that's what you said last time. Mm. And? That something stressful happened. Did it happen? And it hasn't happened yet. Mm. Yeah, so that's a part of cognitive behavioural therapy. So you kind of reappraise your thoughts. Yeah. So that's a technique that psychologists use. So you kind of have these thoughts, you spiral, you catastrophize. What is the worst? Yep, die alone. Okay, let's test that. Mm. Let's test the thought. Let's put it on trial. Yeah. You know, how likely is that to happen? Has it happened before? Did you die alone? Yeah. You did not die alone. Did you lose your job last time you were late <laughs> exactly. for work? No. No, I didn't. No, you did not. It's interesting. <laughs> and I'm still getting there. Yes. Now, we've come to the end of what has been... I feel like we could do... 
We could, we just, can we could just have a host a show together. Let's <laughs> just do we? that. Why don't we? Maybe season two. Season two, you can have... Yeah, I'll be your co-host. That'll be fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll, we'll circle back to that. <laughs> we'll do that off mic. Dr. Alex, <laughs> thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for it's having me. a little me. while in the making. Yeah. But we made it here. Um, make sure you get to Dr. Alex's TED Talk. Yes. If you're listening. 29th of July. It'll be, be on there. YouTube bloody four months later, but yes. No, get to the real thing. Yes, Do you get I any sweet-ass cash from that? Oh, me? No. Get any kickback? <laughs> no. Oh. Never mind, just watch it on YouTube. Just watch it on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you very much for coming on until season two where we co-host. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, and our podcast. Yes. Whenever that's coming out. Oh, hopefully in the next month it'll be out. Really? Embracing the mind. I yes. didn't know it was that. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess it is the month that you said it would be out. <laughs> so that probably does I told make you. sense. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I hope you had a good time. I did. It was great. Thank you. How cool. I know I say it pretty often, but I really do enjoy listening back to these. Um, I, I just love, love reliving the chat and the people that I talk to. They're just, they're just great. Um, and yeah, I learned a lot, a lot of lessons from, from Alex about how cool the brain is, about psychology, psych facts, um, and even more. Yeah, she's such a special person. She was so vulnerable and it was so sweet to have her on the show. Now, I want to say again, thank you to all of you who have listened throughout this little journey that we've had. We are taking a break, but we will be back. Don't you worry. My dad's on my back. My dad loves the podcast and he's like, keep recording, keep recording. So we'll be back. Just going to take a little time for now. Until then, until you hear from me again, check in on your mind, check in on your mates, and I'll see you next time.